too. Welcome aboard the Mike and Mike podcast. Uh, wherever you are, whenever you are, and however you may be joining us, we appreciate the fact that you're here as we get kicked off this morning uh, and get back into our series of lessons. So those of you that have been with us for a while know we um, have kind of gone through stewardship and looking at Christians at work. And uh, in our last episode, we shifted and transitioned to start looking at business principles we can learn from characters throughout scripture and throughout history. And we kicked that study off last week, uh, looking at Joseph, um, and at least the first part of Joseph's life. So today we plan on taking a look at kind of the second half of the life of Joseph and some principles we can learn there. Uh, and so thank, thank you for being here with us and, and being along uh, for the ride. Mr. Ray, how's everything down in Somerset today? Snowy, cold, and beautiful, and uh, glad, to, uh, glad to be back on, on the pod, a weekend edition. This is, this is different for us. We'll see how we perform on the weekend. I'm, I'm sure the, the high standards that we have set, our, our, our raving fans will be, be impressed with our, us maintaining our high standards even on the weekend. Uh, even on the weekend, that's uh, it's we're a little bit more casual than normal. Uh, normally, at least one of us looks one of us way decent. <laughs> but I'm it's the weekend, and I want to be warm in a hoodie. So uh, <laughs> where I'm at today. Uh, all right, so so let's uh, Michael give uh, for for those maybe newly joining us or didn't catch all last. You know, catch us up real quick from uh, the first part of the life of Joseph and get us to today. Yeah, so you know, part part one of, of this study on Joseph, and and just as a reminder, we're kind of looking at, at these Bible characters and, and the way that they handled their own business situations and whatever situation they found themselves, and then what lessons can we garner from that? And we, we first looked at Joseph, the part of Joseph's life, Joseph's life, where he was a, a servant for Potiphar and uh, also uh, kind of a, a leader or a servant in the prison where he was, and and. A couple, you know, a couple of points from that, you know, God may put you in a different situation. We can't imagine worse scenarios than being a slave or a prisoner, but that's exactly where Joseph began his quote business career, and he excelled in both of those areas. And he 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 uh, he did not uh, sulk or become embittered because his he was put in a bad situation. He just put his head down and got to work. Um, and then and then Joseph utilized his gifts, and Joseph had a gift, as we'll see in Genesis. Um, 41 and following <clears throat> as he, uh, as he put his, his skills to work for Pharaoh that Joseph had a gift for some of this stuff. And, um, you know, God gives us gifts and, and Joseph utilized his and, and he always remembered where the gift came from and who he was working for. Um, and so a couple, you know, as, as we move into the second part of his, of his business quote, occupation, new occupation, a couple of those lessons certainly carry forward. Um, you know, no, no question the, the, the lesson that character is destiny um, carries forward. You know, Joseph earned um, from the people that he worked for and worked with a level of respect and a level of benefit of the doubt because of his character. Um, integrity gets you benefit of the doubt and character is destiny. And so because of his character, he, he, he continued to, to, be elevated in the status of the people he works for and work with. And secondly, he, he always uh, knew where the, um, where the, the, the gain in his life, the good in his life, the, the skills in his life, where they came from. And, and those, those two things 
really uh, carry forward into this into this second part of our of our study where where Joseph comes in the employee of Pharaoh. Um, but you know, as we begin there in, in Genesis 41, there are some new lessons also. Uh, Joseph is in a different position for him, and and this 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 becomes a little bit. Um, I think for us this morning, Mike, it becomes a little bit, um, a little bit hairy, you know, as we've said before, the Bible was primarily written for spiritual lessons. Clearly we're trying to draw business lessons here, which are, uh, a, a second level of importance. And, and, and clearly we, we understand that in, in this chapter, we've also got the issue that, that Joseph was a political figure. And so now we got business and politics intermingling also and so we need to be careful with that are these are these really business principles or political principles or spiritual principles and and keeping keeping all of all of those in line however at the same time i do uh, there are certainly some principles that joseph put into place in his occupation as second in command of of the land of egypt uh that, that i think are relevant to us Gotcha. And I want to, I guess I want to start maybe a little bit before 41. Um, and we didn't pick up on this last time. We kind of got to, um, you know, Joseph's in prison and finds Pharaoh with the lead, finds favor with the leader of the prison, right? Um, it's debatable whether or not that's still Potiphar. Um, I read some interesting stuff about that, but that's neither here nor there for what we're trying to accomplish here. So he put finds favor, and then you know you've got the king's um, bread maker and the king's cupbearer that end up in prison, and and Joseph ends up taking care of them too. You know, hey, look after these guys, continue to make sure that they're all right. And then along the way, those guys have some dreams and um, are perturbed by them. Maybe is 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 the easiest word to put there, but also are, have some anxiety because you know obviously culturally dreams meant something to them. You know, they knew that these dreams, these dreams were not just, you know, wild, you know, fictitious imaginations. Like they, they, they felt something real here and they didn't have access to the, uh, Oh, I forget the term that I, that I read for these guys, but I loved it. Um, anyway, the, the Pharaoh's dream interpreters, you know, the, the, whoever he had on staff that did this, he didn't have uh, access. They didn't have access to those guys. And so they are, you know, perturbed. And that's when Joseph kind of, I think that's about where we ended was Joseph says, Hey, why the long face? You know, why, why are you guys upset here? And Joseph, you know, helps them and interprets their dream. So he, here's, I think the first lesson in business lesson wise, we may develop a skill set, or we may be very, very good at something and may be able to practice and demonstrate that but that doesn't mean that that's necessarily the time for the job. And, and sometimes I think we get in our mind that, Hey, because I can do something, I should be running my own company doing it, or I should be promoted immediately or whatever else. We, we, we have these very acute timelines where we are not patient enough with ourselves to let that develop. So Joseph interprets these dreams and they are better. They kind of go back to Pharaoh and then, um, Michael, how long before they remember that Joseph did this? Yeah, so two years in prison, right? Um, before before the uh, the the cupbearer, and, and I think it's interesting. The cupbearer, when when Pharaoh has the dream and the, the cupbearer remembers Joseph, he says, "I remember my sins" or "I remember my offenses," something to that effect. That's chapter forty-one, verse nine. 
I remember now where I have gone wrong and I've forgotten about this, this Hebrew kid that I remember in prison. Um, and so, so one of the lessons, and I think this is what you're driving at is, is just patience, you know, patience in our, in our, um, in our business career. And, and, and I think that that in a lot of ways speaks to an imbalance um, maybe between our uh, economic ambitions and our spiritual ambitions is that if those get out of whack and our, our economic ambitions begin to rule us, then we get impatient with where we are in our, in our business career. And, you know, I, I should be advancing. I should be, you know, you, you certainly see people whose lives are, they're, they're unhappy because they don't, they aren't where they think they should be uh, professionally. And, and as we've said, man, our, our, our professional careers exist to support our spiritual lives. That's the only reason they exist. And so if our, if our, if our professional career is getting in the way of our spiritual growth, uh, we're, if that, if that impatience, you know, that, that, that's where we've, we've gotten imbalance. So let me ask you this question um, here, because you and I do a lot of this. Um, I don't know what I want to call it, you know, not necessarily mentoring of people, but, but we've got people in our lives that, you know, talk to us about different things, you know, career wise and whatnot. So over the last six months, year, would you say you've had more than one person that's talked to you about where not being happy where they're at? economically in their careers, they want to advance more. Sure. Is that something that's happened? Okay. Follow-up question. How many are not happy where they're at spiritually? Hey, I should be a deacon by now. I should be an elder by now. I should be in a bigger position of leadership within the church by now. How many are frustrated with where they are in their spiritual growth? Cause I'll tell you the number that are frustrated economically are tenfold the ones that I talk to that are frustrated spiritually. Yeah. Amen. The ones that are frustrated spiritually are it's because they've done something dumb. It's not because, Hey, I want to be a deacon. It's I've messed these things up and I got to try to fix them. Um, but yeah, I, and I'm, I, I think I'm not, that, to your point. Yeah. And I'm not down on people who do dumb stuff. Uh, Cause I'm, I'm in that, <laughs> I, I, I ride solidly in that camp, but, but, I, but, I, but I hear you, you know, this, this speaks to the problem of, of, the the problem of the blessing of being in a prosperous area is that you, you live in it and you don't realize that you're living in it. And, and, and because economically the scoreboard is easy to see it, it, it's easy to get wrapped up in where you fit in the scoreboard because you don't, you don't get a spiritual W2 every year. And that, that, that kind of, you know, that becomes your economic scoreboard. How am I doing professionally? What that W2 say that I was worth this year professionally? And then that W two doesn't exist spiritually to see that I do. Am I doing better spiritually this year than I, than I did last year? And so, since the scoreboard's not easy to see, sometimes we we don't realize that we're not advancing spiritually, and we're not. We should be more dissatisfied than we are. Yeah. Um, terrible sidebar that we need to pick up at some point. I I, I wonder. Spiritual W two. Yeah, it's spiritual W two <laughs> or, or or scorecards, right? You know. Uh, Maybe at the at the end of every quarter, the elders sit you down and give you your grades. You know, ah, let's let's see where you can pick up here. You're currently a 2.0 student here, and we need to try to get you to three and a half. I mean, we say that flippantly, but but you know, we we probably should all be doing that for ourselves. 
and 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 roping in some people that know us well and that we trust to to help us in that, in that evaluation. Yeah. No, no question. Because, much, because again, we do that in business, right? We, we have peer groups and peer reviews and we're constantly benching ourselves next to, yeah, there's, there's, yeah. All right. We, I don't want to <laughs> hijack where we're going with Joseph today, but that we need to put a pin in that and come back. Cause I, I think, <laughs> I think peer review and benchmarking to where we are spiritually needs to probably happen. Yeah. So the, the bigger principle here as, as it relates to Joseph is if we're, if we are uh, professionally and economically impatient, but spiritually complacent, um, that that's, that's a problem. And that, that's, that's, uh, that's certainly a, uh, a potential issue given where we live in the, in the economic and uh, social and economic arena that, that at least you and I live in, um, so in the, me, in the U S let me ask you this follow-up question too. So, the cupbearer and the bread maker, you know, Joseph interprets their dreams. They go back to work. Yeah, one of them does. Well, one of them does. Um, <laughs> go back to work and forget about Joseph for two years. So over that two-year period, um, I'm looking for the verse here. Joseph gets surly. He becomes a bad employee. He decides that the prisoner and Pharaoh don't deserve him. And so he lays completely down. Like that's what happened, right? Yeah, I mean, two years in the worst circumstances imaginable after you've already proven yourself. Twice. How many, yeah, how many people would uh, how many people would continue to work diligently, uh, professionally in that in that circumstance? That, that's that's certainly a good point, and continues to speak to patients. So I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna go Mike to to another one that I just think is interesting. I think there may be a business principle here. It's it's a brief one, but but uh, I think it's interesting in Genesis 41. When that cupbearer finally does remember Joseph and and says, "Hey, Pharaoh, you got to talk to this Hebrew kid," you know he's he's got the dream interpretation thing down. Um, I think he can help you with this. Pharaoh sent and called for Joseph, verse fourteen, and they quickly brought him out of the pit, and he shaved himself and changed his clothes and came in and saw Pharaoh. Uh, I'm not sure this is exactly a job interview, but but Joseph knew how to respectfully approach Pharaoh, and uh, and part of that was was shaving, changing his clothes, cleaning himself up a little bit, making himself presentable. Uh, and that, I think that's, I think that's interesting that that principle in the old Testament that when, when you came before somebody in authority that you wanted to be presentable. Um, and, and so as somebody who's wearing a hoodie this morning, how do you feel about that? <laughs> well, I mean, consider <laughs> who I'm in audience with here with you. Let's <laughs> so understand where we're at. Um, no, I, I think that's a great point. I, the other thing that I, that I think is, is important there too, is this, this also speaks to, you know, Joseph's mindset because he could have very easily said, no, I'm going to go in front of him as I am because I've been put in this terrible situation. His people have forgotten about me for two years, even though they promised me they weren't going to forget about me. So you can see what has happened to me. But no, I mean, he doesn't take that attitude. I, I, listen, I, some of you that are listening to this may know, like, I, I'm in the middle of a transition. I, my bank that I work for got bought. And some of the conversation as the new brass is coming to town is, you know, I'm not going to dress up. You know, I'm not, you know, it's Friday and they're coming to town and I'm casual on Friday. So I'm going to wear khakis and a polo shirt. And, you know, my comments always, you know, boys, I, 
I think we need to think about what your first impression is and probably shouldn't be that you wanted to be real comfortable on a Friday, especially since this is the new brass that's coming to town. But there is, I think, within some people, almost this rebellious type nature of when I feel wronged or when I feel like, you know, uh, I want to try to control the situation, I'm going to do it based on, you know, dress, appearance, you know, attitude, all of those things when, you know, the, the, the respectful thing to do. And if we, you know, obviously it comes out in spades for Joseph, right? He, he gets the job, but you wonder how much he's able to even demonstrate what he can do based on that first appearance. I, Cause like it or not, I mean, you don't judge a book by its cover and all that jazz. And, and we, we say stuff like that, but we all do. We make snap judgments based upon how people look across the table from each other. You know, we're on a podcast this morning. I'm in a hoodie and most of you all know me. Understand if you come into my office the first time for a financial planning conversation, I've got a suit and tie on because I, you expect whoever is going to manage your money to look like they know what they're doing and not like they just rolled out of bed, even though they may have just rolled out of bed. So, you know, we have to understand that that first impression is important and we may never get an opportunity to demonstrate what we know or what we can do if the first impression is this guy's a clown. Yep. And, uh, you know, uh, as, as Joseph walks into that meeting with Pharaoh, I think it's also, you know, certainly God's providence is at play here. There's no question about that. But, you know, God's providence works through God's people uh, in many, in many instances. And, you know, Joseph knows that Pharaoh is not, it, it ain't exactly like Pharaoh's a godly guy that he's, that he's going to walk before, you know, he, he, he knows that two years ago he put the baker on a stake and, and we don't even know if there's a good reason for it. He was just unhappy with him. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it, it, it's not, you know, certainly this, this Pharaoh treated Joseph and his family well. And, and I would, I would venture to say that Joseph had an impact on this Pharaoh yeah, over time. But as Joseph is walking in front of him here for the first time in Genesis 41, it's, it's not as if Pharaoh is some, you know, benevolent looking to help this Hebrew kid. You know, this is going to be a great story that, you know, he, he, he could have just as easily, it's like an Esther situation. He could have just as easily walked out uh, or, or been carried out of that meeting um, as, as it was that he was put in second in command. And so, you know, going, going respectfully, um, and, and in, in the manner that we've talked about is, I, I think even more important in that context. Can we assume the baker probably burned something? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that, that's always been my assumption. He burnt the bread somewhere and it's got staked for it. Well, it just says he committed an offense and then the cupbearer evidently did something similar. So anyway, I, I don't, what can a cupbearer even do? Spilled something on him? I'm guessing Cupbearer spilled something, but Baker burned something, and maybe it was his favorite bread. And that must be worse. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> Take caution out there. Caution. Penalties may be difficult. Um, so uh, l- let's keep walking forward. So he has the job interview. Job interview goes well. He's made vizier of of Egypt, which means he is second in command, um, which is – First of all, we, we have to understand that that's not supposed to happen, right? Well, I mean, yeah, yeah. Um, obviously, going back to Genesis 39 and 40, there is some racist undertones to the fact that Joseph's a Hebrew. 
you know, remember Potiphar's wife said, you know, our master, your master brought this Hebrew in to make fun of us, right? So they're looked down at on all other Egyptians, anybody. And it's not just Hebrews, all other races that are not Egyptians are, are looked down upon. So the fact that this guy, that Joseph's second in command to Pharaoh is very, very significant. I mean, you know, culturally, you know, we could think about, you know, um, people, you know, again, out of place, out of time, who you look down on now that is in a position of second of power. So it's very significant, this role. But also it's very significant that, you know, Joseph continues to excel at it. You know, it wasn't just, you know, hey, Joseph interpreted this dream. I've got this cushy state job and I'm going to put my feet up here on my desk and draw my check. Um, you know, Joseph continues to perform. And, and that, you know, kind of brings us to our, our next point is, you know, Pharaoh's dream was about hard times are coming. And listen, I, you know, Michael and I have both been, you know, in our careers pushing, I guess, close to 20 years now, man, we're getting old. Uh, but Michael, do you need a dream to tell you that tough times are going to come in business? It, yeah. You know, I, I think Joseph and Pharaoh got a little more insight on the timeline than perhaps we, we have about when this next bubble is going to burst. But yeah, if, if we're, if, if we're prudent at all, we should be saving, right? That's, that's a lesson from Proverbs. And, and, and I think it's interesting that Joseph's because because again they they do have this supernatural vision of knowing how long the years are going to be. They know it's going to be seven plentiful years and seven lean years. And uh, I think it's interesting that in verse thirty four, Joseph puts in this twenty percent um, kind of flat tax, twenty um, percent of the produce, and you know if. If I think that principle that I think is interesting is Joseph probably accumulated more than than they thought they were going to need. That in my mind, if you've got seven lean years coming, how much do you want to keep back? Um, well, maybe you keep a seventh for seven years or whatever. Um, but 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 Joseph said, no, we're it's twenty percent is what we're going to need and be fair. And then all of the administration and, and bureaucracy that, that he would need to, to set up in order to have all these storehouses and all these different areas and, and the logistics of getting the grain, anyway, Joseph's ability and all that. But, but you know, even more importantly, I, I, I would imagine that the, the common people of Egypt did not appreciate the foresight of this 20%, um, off the top zero chance yeah zero chance zero chance that that one this hebrew clown from out of town um you know the expert from out of town that you brought in that by the way wasn't this wasn't he just in jail a couple of days ago ex-con right he's first of all he came in as a slave and we know him because he was over at potiphar's house didn't he mess around with potiphar's old lady end up in jail and now you're telling us that we need to put back 20% of everything that comes in, man, look at how good we got it right now. Right. Look at how much we're prospering. We're wealthier than we've ever been. Times are good, man. 
but here here's the the, the biggest principle I think that, that that that's that's in here. I think it's a huge business principle. It's a huge individual principle for your family, for your life is you cannot live at your means. You must live significantly below them. Now, you've got to figure that out, all right, um, and, and, and figure out kind of where you're at there. But, you know, living on 80% of your income is probably a good start uh, because I'm telling you, lean times are coming. I'm not a prophet or a son of a prophet, but I, I mean, we, we can get into all the reasons why, you know, modern monetary theory and the printing presses that we're doing with the Fed eventually is going to blow up. Um, I, I can go through all that fun stuff with you if you want, but understand recessions like 08, like 02, like 01 before that, like 87 before that come. It's part of the cycle. But if you're living at at or above your means, you know, if you make $100 a week and you're spending 110, when the recession comes, you are in desperate trouble. But if you're spending, if you make $100 a week and you're spending 65 or 70 and the recession comes and you got to take a pay cut or you don't get overtime and all those things, you've got savings plus you've been living on a lot less anyway. And so the principle here that comes is that when the lean times come, they survived because they didn't live at their means. They kept stacking stuff up and putting it away and moving it off the, off the table. And, and they survived on what they had because when the lean times came, not only did they survive during the lean times, but we're going to learn a little bit later and we'll have a little discussion about the role of capital, um, that they thrived and expanded. Because, you know, again, when, when asset prices are depressed, cash is king. And so when nobody else has cash and everything goes up for fire sale prices, the rich get richer, as it were, um, because they're able to buy assets at very depressed values. And that's exactly what happens, you know, uh, to, uh, to people, uh, to uh, Egypt there, because they not only, you know, buy land and cattle, but they also buy people at very depressed values. Yeah. So then that kind of leads to another conversation here and, and speaking to the, to the tax, taxation is theft crowd a little bit and that, you know, I, I'm not sure <laughs> again, the, the, the reason that these things are, are left for us in scripture is for our spiritual benefit. Joseph is a spiritual lesson about, because uh, Joseph paved the way for Moses, and Moses is the is the type of our salvation out of sin to the promised land, and 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 all those spiritual lessons. That that's what we're that's what we're doing here. These other lessons that are, are ancillary and and certainly far less important. And yet, we see that God continues to operate in the lives of these people, and 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 God operates through a lot of different political and economic systems and and as far as i can tell is indifferent <laughs> to to it, whichever one suits his purposes and and you and i prudently can can have a conversation about which one we prefer which one we we think makes the most sense but ultimately does it suit god's purposes is something that I, we we're not qualified to answer God has is the only one that has the field of vision and the and the the scope and of of you know eternity and 
what what it needs to happen in the kingdoms of men to make those decisions. But yeah, I will well, tell you, I will tell you that in this circumstance, without the implementation of what was probably considered an egregious twenty percent tax, that those Egyptians would not have survived the seven lean years. And, oh, absolutely, yeah. And, and the you know you can get into you know right what what's a fifth versus a seventh. So essentially, they saved one hundred and forty percent. So they not only had enough to cover, but they had excess. And that extra 40% is how they ended up really becoming a world superpower because they bought up everything around them. So, um, and before, you know, some of you that are listening, get out the pitchforks and come after us, you know, let's, let's be honest with the text. God is not a capitalist Republican. Like some of us want to paint him to be, um, God's apolitical. It it doesn't matter. He, He uses, and, and, and when, if we're honest with the, with the Romans 13 text and we're honest with the biblical story that God's, you know, can use Hitler and Stalin and Mussolini and, you know, pick your favorite U.S. president, um, George Washington, Abraham Lincoln, whoever. He, he can use all of them and still accomplish his goals. It, it doesn't matter. Um, and, and let's not forget that, you know, that even when we think we know what the best system is, that the nation of Israel failed when God was their king. So, you know, we think, oh, you know, if it's my God, then everything's going to be right. Israel couldn't follow God as king. So if we think somehow everything's going to be better if we have the communist president that we believe in or the socialist president or the capitalist president Or if we go to a totalitarian dictatorship, like understand if God can't be king and make everything all right, nobody else can either. Um, And and there's a whole lot of reasons as to why they failed. And I'm not, please don't misunderstand that Mike's blaming God for the failing of the Israeli society. I'm not. But what I'm saying is that we wrap too much stuff up in what our own political ideologies are and then try to ascribe those to God. God doesn't care what our political system is, I assure you, because I can show you every political system known to man that's happened over time that God's will still was accomplished during. So God does not care what our political system is. What we see also is some things that in our 21st century worldview are uncomfortable that happen, right? We've got to be honest that, you know, slavery happened in biblical times. Um, we've got to be honest that God did tell um, the, the, the children of Israel when they came back in and took the land of Canaan to kill every living thing that that happened. Now, you know, and again, in our worldview today, you know, if the United States was going to attack Canada, I don't know why we would ever connect, attack the Canucks, but and the president at the time said we are going to kill every living thing that there would be outrage on the world stage and everybody would think that that person's terrible, but those orders came from God. So there, there are some uncomfortable things that happen within the pages of scripture, but that are all part of God's will. And there is a bigger, broader answer as to why they happen and why they're supposed to happen that way. So, you know, we, we've got to kind of move some of this stuff off out of our worldview to say that this is good or this is bad. Um, you know, God's in control here. Uh, and, you know, we've got to understand there's bigger things at play than what we think about politically or socioeconomically. Um, remember, what Michael and I are trying to do is just parse some 
you know, socioeconomic business principles out of these things, while not necessarily agreeing with some of the other things that happen, right? I, I'm not saying we should, you know, set up a, you know, flat 20% tax across the board. Um, but if you live on 80% of your earnings, I, I think that's probably a good idea. Um, I don't know. Not to take that sidebar too far. Yeah. And, and moving to Genesis 47, and that kind of speaks to what you just talked about, Mike, where, where Joseph begins buying up the land for Pharaoh, essentially. And so the people of Egypt buy this grain that he's accumulated, and then they sell their livestock for this grain, and then they sell their land for this grain, and they end up selling themselves for this grain. And 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 there, there's a lot of people who are very uncomfortable with that. <clears throat> and I, I'm, you know, was was this just an, a, a horrible act by by Joseph to to put these people essentially in the in servitude of Pharaoh? And then and apparently for 400 some years, Moses indicates that it was that way until his time. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I'm. I would, in regard to this text, would say rather that I, I don't think that Joseph finished his life poorly here. And so if you're going to, and there are many who would, who would make this argument that Joseph has, has lost his way and he's treated these people terribly. And, and uh, you know, is that not saying that Joseph should be held up as some mark of perfection, certainly, but, but, is is it consistent with the text to say that that Joseph lost his way here, and that this was some, not something that God approved of, and that this was uh, horrible treatment of the of the Egyptians? Um, I don't I don't think we see that. I, I think that we see that God is is at play, and and Joseph is using his skills of management to try to uh, equitably, you know, to the best of his ability, serve his master both pharaoh and god to the best of his ability with with the the management and administration that he has set up um so i, I you know I, I think you see in leviticus as we move on if you want to make the analogy that it was it was almost an act of mercy it was a charitable act to help someone who was impoverished and you know the social safety nets <laughs> are very different in that day somebody that's impoverished and can't help themselves to, to serve them and provide them with, with something in exchange for their service was almost an act of mercy. Hey, I'll, I'll allow you to become a servant in my home. And, and in, as uh, the transaction for that, I'll provide you with food and money and whatever. That was almost looked at as a charitable act. We, we would not see it at all like that today. So, oh, you're going to put somebody in servitude. That is beyond the pale. Again, our, to, to, to try to look back on what Joseph did with, with our 21st century cultural values is, is, is really difficult. I'm going to have a hard time condemning um, that, what, what he did there. Uh, I, I think he was a fantastic manager. I think he was an incredible administrator. I think you, I mean, probably don't comprehend very often from a business perspective, what it took to oversee all of these grain storehouses all over Egypt, you know, and the accounting of that, the logistics of that, the management of that, the people that he had to have underneath him to keep track of 
how much grain we got in Ramses and how much grain we got in Memphis and all the, whatever the cities where these storehouses were, that, that the, the organization and the oversight and the management of that, Joseph had a gift and that the, and his employee, that gift benefited Egypt. Yeah. And, and, and to, the, to that point too, but Joseph did not fall off the back of a turnip truck doing this. We, we've got to go back and understand. And I think sometimes we, we get that false impression in our mind, like, well, yeah, when he got promoted, he was just naturally good at that. No, let, let's go back. His blessing from God was, you know, probably good decision-making, but it was mostly that he found favor in everyone's eyes. That's the blessing that keeps coming up over and over again. His skill set of logistics and all that started in Potiphar's house, because remember that, that progression that we talked about. Potiphar started making him, you know, we think Potiphar just gave him the keys to the kingdom. No, Potiphar started him out with small things and he kept getting better and better and better at it. And so eventually he had control of everything other than what Potiphar ate for lunch, right? Then he goes to the prison and they keep putting stuff in charge of him and he does really well with it. So he's learning to manage people, learning to manage tasks, learning logistics, granted on a much smaller scale than what he's ultimately doing in Egypt. But these are learned traits that he's then taking and applying later on. And so th that's, that's the other lesson I think that's important here is that, you know, we shouldn't expect that back to our patients, that our skills just develop overnight and God blesses us and we're perfect at it. Joseph honed these skills. He got really, really good at this. And what he's done is, I mean, it, it's phenomenal what he did there. So, you know, I think he, he, he needs his credit there. And I think that's one of the lessons that, that we can learn here when we look at, at the business um, relationship here is that how important these details and relationships are. Because understand that in this vast network and logistics and all of that, that Joseph wasn't himself going and checking on every one of these storehouses. Impossible. He had people. Mm -hmm. he had to. And so I, I think one of the great lessons business like to work for him and that was successful following out his plans and that's that's huge the, the finding favor the not ruling with an iron fist but rather the finding favor method um i, I think is, is going to help you be a lot more successful in business than, than you are any other way the, the last point i would make here and i've i've got <clears throat> to to step step out is i think we should expect that when good godly people with 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 gifts utilize those gifts appropriately first of all they they do it from god and acknowledging that it comes from god and joseph did that even in the naming of his children he you, you see that he, he he always acknowledged that god put him in this place and all this stuff came from god and yet when good godly people work in good godly ways their employers are benefited mm -hmm. potiphar potiphar benefited the prison benefited, Pharaoh benefited, Egypt benefited, um, and that that shouldn't surprise us. Um, and we and, shouldn't begrudge that. Correct, and it doesn't appear that Joseph did. 
Um, and, and over time with patience, even in all those years in, in, as a slave and in prison, Joseph, with patience, kept doing the right thing. And eventually he got promoted. Um, now, I'm not saying we're going to be second command. But with patience, eventually he got promoted. But even if he hadn't, I'm not sure that he would have changed what he was doing. Here, I'm going to throw a couple of quick sidebars in this story, too, because, um, again, for, for everybody that, that wants to, you know, throw stones at Joseph, I just want to point out a couple of very quick things here at the end. Joseph is second in command to Pharaoh, correct? It's my understanding. Is there anything that Joseph could not do that he wanted to do other than maybe offend Pharaoh? Yeah. Okay. okay. So. We have no record of Joseph going back to Potiphar and saying, you know what? I made you all this wealth. I want half of it. I want a quarter of it. I want my share. Doesn't happen. We don't have Joseph going back to Potiphar's wife either and saying, you lying hussy. You know, uh, you need to go to prison now or you need to be executed for what happened. You know what the truth was about that situation. We don't see him going back to, you know, the cupbearer. Uh, right, because the baker's dead now, going back to the cupbearer and saying, hey, man, you left me in prison for a couple of years. I'm going to throw you back in prison and see how you like that for a couple of years and forget about you. Also, his lying, conniving, hateful brothers that show up, that put him in a pit that was that were going to kill him and sold him for 100 bucks. He had mercy and grace and forgiveness upon them. And what he does there shows that character. Jacob's not, or not Jacob, Joseph is not holding resentment, bitterness, grudges. vengeance, grudges. None of those things are part of who he is. You know, granted, does he make sure, you know, he gets his father down and do a little trickery and whatnot? Absolutely. But he made sure that they were fed and he made sure they got back to his father. And can you really blame him for, you know, the, the deception with the brothers that sold him for a hundred bucks last time he saw them. Right. So, I mean, I, I don't even necessarily blame his shrewdness there in dealing with the brothers based on, you know, the fact that they're liars and cons themselves. Yeah. I would, I would think the, the principle there is if our advancement in business is to spite or as a grudge to somebody or if, and, and, and even, even business wise, if, if, the reason we're in business is to destroy the competition. You know, I, I think that we've got, we've misplaced our priority there. Joseph wasn't trying to raise in command to get back at those who had wronged him. He wasn't trying to alleviate some injustice. He was trying to do the best he could where he was. And so, you know, if we are, if we're in business with idea, we're going to get high enough to crush somebody or we're going to get high enough to, to avenge some wrong that's been done to us. That's, that's not the right reason um, to, to go about doing, doing what we do. So those are the lessons. Uh, that's a good one. That's a good one to end on. Character is destiny. Um, keep, keep your head down. Keep doing what God wants you to do and, and use your blessings to God's service. You'll benefit. And those, uh, those who employ you will benefit as well. And uh, at that, I got to bounce, my friend. All right. Th thank you all for tuning in. Um, where we want to tackle next? TBD. Okay, TBD, we'll, we'll, we'll flesh that out, but we're going to find uh, another character and learn some business lessons from. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for tuning in. As always, fire your questions, comments. If there are any characters you can think about along the way that you'd like us to tackle, um, shoot those to us. We'd be happy to 
add them to the list as, as we go through this. Um, it's been a good study for us so far. Hopefully uh, you've enjoyed it as well. Um, Till next time. Thank you, Mr. Ray. And thank you to all of our listeners. Enjoyed it, my friend. See you.